Why'd you bring me here today, Dakota? Okay, so I want to tell you about witchcraft at UVic. Okay, I already have like 15 different questions. You're listening to You in the Ring, a podcast from CFUV 101.9 FM that explores untold stories from UVic's past and present. Can you explain what a practicing witch is? Mm -hmm. Yes, I can try. Okay. I can try from the information I've received. Okay. Um, So I have a definition from one of our um, out witches on campus. His name is John, and he is a prof in the creative writing department. Uh, My name is John Threlfall. Uh, I've been a practicing witch since 1986. Uh, I'm a cisgender male, so I'm not necessarily uh, a good uh, representative of what you would typically consider a goddess practice. (laughs) Um, I've been living in Victoria for, gosh, 30, almost 30 years now. Uh, I came over from Vancouver. Uh, UVic alumni, and uh, my day job is communications officer in the Faculty of Fine Arts. And so he said, witchcraft is an earth-based spirituality, mm-hmm. and so that's also a pagan practice. And pagans are just like, um, like lay folk, like peasants or people of the the earth, the land. I default to witch, witchcraft, and witchy. Those are the terms that I'll use okay. the most. Cool. So the easiest way to think about it is all witches are pagans, okay? but not all pagans are witches. All Wiccans are witches, not all witches are Wiccans. So Wicca is uh, a very specific tradition or teaching or practice of witchcraft. And so you can practice witchcraft and it can be your just own home remedies, rituals, whatever you choose it to be, or you can practice Wicca which is another um, limb of witchcraft that's like you follow kind of a set of rules. It's more so like uh, a religion rather than a spirituality. And so you kind of have to like get ordained and stuff into Wicca. So when I said I've been a practicing witch since 1986, in 1986, I was initiated into a Wiccan tradition. Okay. So I was initiated in that oldie, Englandy British tradition, which I then moved away from as my practice and myself as I continued to grow. Um, and I moved away from that. So I wouldn't consider myself a Wiccan now. I'm just a witch. Okay, so there's so. witches and there's practicing witches. Mm-hmm. And someone who practices their witchcraft is someone who is more involved in kind of like their their community or like is like or is somehow like ordained and has gone through the process. Is that what it takes to be like known as practicing? You have to kind of go through the hoops or can you be practicing like at your home with like your family and your friends? Yeah. So, good question. Um, so a practicing witch is kind of like, like, it's kind of like how you self-identify. Like it's a self-identification the same as like, you know, identifying your queerness or something like that. It's being like, this is what I know myself to be. And so you get to decide on that. And so, yeah, to, there's different covens that you can be in, which are these, um, 
kind of set up groups in mm-hmm. which you follow certain rituals. Oh, okay. But you yourself, as a witch, as a practicing witch, you kind of get to decide what you choose to do. And because of how stigmatized witchcraft has been, a lot of it has been, um, like, it went underground for a while. So a lot of people had to practice in their own homes and gardens and these things. Most people these days, I'm going to generalize, are just more witches because they don't necessarily have the formalization of that specific mm-hmm. training. They don't follow the formal dictates of that tradition. Instead, they're more eclectic witches. They do what feels right for them or they grab from a bunch of different traditions and they put them all together. Kitchen sink witchcraft is mm-hmm. often called as mm-hmm. well. So it all depends on your tradition. So one thing, one way to think about witchcraft is like Christianity. Christianity is the umbrella underneath of which you have Catholicism and Protestantism and Lutheranism and all these kind of things. Witchcraft is similar. If witchcraft is the umbrella, underneath that umbrella you would have Wicca, you would have reclaiming, you would have family traditions, you would have Dianics, you would have radical fairies. You know, you have a lot of different derivations of witchcraft. Mm-hmm. Um, we all share the same basic principles. We would all you know, we all get along when we meet each other, but how we practice, what we say, sometimes what we do in ritual uh, varies from tradition to tradition. Who's at those rituals varies from tradition to tradition. Um, I'm part of a very large coven in town here called the 13th House Mystery School, and I'm what's called a black cord priest. So black cord just means, think about kung fu, right? Mm-hmm. You move through the different belts. You know, mm-hmm. there's white cord, red cord, and black cord. Black cord is the uh, the level that is just dedicated to teaching and ritualing and things like that. Hmm. So. so how do you get to that place? to the black in our yeah. in our tradition yeah. um you, you spend a few years working through your different chords you mentor for want of a better word with uh different priestesses or priests now um and you uh, dedicate yourself to certain paths along the way and uh, yeah yeah it's not for everybody not everybody wants to get to that black chord level like mm-hmm. and that's just our tradition like other traditions uh they have no interest in all that fancy hierarchy of chords and levels and everything like that they'd rather just have everyone in a circle on the same level so mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. But, but it's what resonates with you well yeah yeah and, and and i mean for me for who i am like you know i'm a teacher I, i've been a sessional instructor up here at uvic for 20 years right so i am a teacher so to teach witchcraft makes sense to me and it's mm-hmm. kind of what i do anyways and a lot of my public education work that I do, a lot of the media work that I do, a lot of the journalism that I do, does have that sort of educational aspect to it. So for me, it kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's like based on your skill set and yeah. like how you want to give that to yeah. your yeah. community. Yeah. And 13th House, you know, it's a cool bunch of witches. Like we're all, our tradition, the 13th House tradition, are it's a tradition of creativity and witchcraft fused together. So all of our witches are creative people. So we're, we're writers, we're musicians, we're painters, we're dancers, you know, whatever it may be. Uh, if you're part of 13th House, you tend to have a creative practice and you fuse your magic into that and vice versa. I was one of those, um, this is going to make me sound really old. In the days before the internet, I was one of there those. There were those days. Those were those days. And it was, a, you know, the first half of my life was pre-internet, which in witchcraft terms is really interesting. Uh, in the days before the internet, when uh, information was scarcer to find and you only had access to what your public library had or what a bookstore had or what was on TV or at the movies, um, literally at the movies because there were no VHS tapes or DVD tapes to rent or anything like that, like that didn't exist yet. 
as I was growing up, I was that kind of kid who's interested in all the spooky stuff. Like I like the psychic phenomenon, I like Bigfoot, and I like intuition and ESP and all those kind of things. And uh, whenever I'd run across stuff like that, it really resonated for me. And I had experiences when I was growing up, like, you know, seeing dead relatives and knowing when people had died and, you know, having the, the lights flicker when you enter a room, being able to sense things. Like that was all my experience growing up. So I was that kind of spooky, weird kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember thinking at one point, like I was probably 12 or 13, thinking, oh, it's too bad witches don't exist because I'd be a really good witch. But at that point, this is in the early, mid-70s, you just couldn't find information out about living, practicing witchcraft in Burnaby, a suburb of Vancouver. Like, it just wasn't there. Or if it was there, I was not aware of it. But Victoria had a very active witch scene and had been getting regular media attention for its witch scene since the late 60s. So in, you know, let's fast forward a bit to the early 80s, early mid-80s, when I started thinking more seriously about witchcraft, there were changes in the pagan publishing world that happened in 1979, 1980, the first sort of three notable, rooted in the everyday how-to witchcraft books came out at that time. There were some that were published in the 50s, but these were the first modern ones. So at that point, suddenly, 1980, you could actually find information out. Mm-hmm. One of those books was Canadian. One of those books was by Robin Skelton, who is a UVic prof. He's with his co-founder of the Creative Writing Department. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, witchcraft not only was present on the shelves of a bookstore, but it was happening just across the water in Victoria. And then as I was you know, growing up and leaving high school and becoming more my own person, um, Victoria kept popping up on my radar in the media. You know, Robin Skelton would be interviewed about something or there'd be something going on and you'd read a story about the Victoria witches. And I'm like, so what's going on in Victoria? So for me, think about what it used to be like in the 70s if you were queer living in a town where there was no queer presence and you heard about San Francisco and you'd want to go to San Francisco because you're around your own people. It's an out community. You can live your life. You can find like-minded people. You can go to stores that service, you know, like all that kind of stuff. So Victoria was like that for me. It was an out witch community and I saw myself moving there and saying, oh, I could be part of this. I could be part. And that's what I did. So after I was initiated, a few years later, I was initiated at six. Uh, I practiced in Vancouver, made some connections there, and then, yeah, by the early 90s, I was living in Victoria and was very much a part of the Victoria witch scene. And the two reasons I came to Victoria, one was to go to UVic and one was to get into the witch scene. Hmm. And the witch scene was fused with UVic Mm -hmm. at that point. So he moved to Victoria in 1990, um, and this is on the the edge of like the heat of satanic panic Mm. and so it was the 80s and 90s in which it was happening and it was really happening in victoria as well um but prior to that in like the 60s um after witchcraft had become legal again because it was illegal for a long time as well until like the end of the 1950s so it was then legalized again um yeah, the end of the 1950s. And so in the 60s, with like, you know, the whole political movement and the rise of like new age spirituality and like environmentalism and feminism and queer rights, witchcraft was having a moment too because people were like, this is a radical movement. And this is something that also falls into alignment with all these other things because of this earth based spirituality, because it's a goddess worshiping practice that is very, fem- very based in feminism. It has space for people to be queer and it's not based on your sexuality and it it filled all these 
spaces for people and was also very community oriented. So that was what was happening in Victoria in the 60s and 70s. And then as things changed, then in the 80s and 90s, there was this satanic panic that happened. And it was a lot of things because of like, again, the political climate, like... Can we just explain briefly, what is the satanic panic? Okay, so yeah, so in the 1980s and 90s, it was similar to like what had happened with the witchcraft burnings. Like people were being called out for being witches. And like, it was a lot of like mothers and childcare workers and people that were working with children. And these religious groups were calling out people saying, you're like tainting our children into into satanic practices, right? And the thing about witchcraft is that it's not a satanic practice, but people tend to mix the two up. And the media portrays it in this way as being related to the devil or this very like dark worshiping practice, which it is actually not. That's like Christianity's portrayal of it. Um, And so, yeah, religious groups were rising in in the 80s and 90s and calling out these people and because this is also supported by the media it's when like you know talk shows were having a rise and like daytime talk shows so there was this guy I don't remember his name but he wrote a book um in Victoria that was called Michelle Remembers about this woman that he like was doing um psychotherapy with and he said in the book it's supposed to be a nonfiction. a lot of stuff came out about it afterwards um but it was said that he was pulling these things these experiences out her out of her that were like she had been forced into doing these satanic practices um in the community of victoria and so that fueled people and because he also had enough time in his life to do this whole talk show circuit it was just like fueling this um idea for people that witches were satanic and they were practicing these things and they were tainting the world and so people were like yeah people were in like up uprise about it people don't there's still a lot of people who don't believe it's real so when you talk about the satanic panic yes it flared up in the 80s and there's a lot of reasons why it flared up in the 80s but you can also look at the flare-ups in the 60s you can look at the flare-ups in the 1800s 1700s 1600s 1500s 1400s you know like there's a lot once the church started gaining power and witches became an easy target for persecution and execution that just rolled on that became the norm so what you're referring to in the 80s about the satanic panic that was inspired by Michelle remembers the book that was written about the uh, apparently true at the time it was perceived as a non-fiction book uh, repressed memories of a young woman uh, who was abused by a satanic coven in Victoria uh, and then her therapist uh, wrote this book and it became incredibly popular as a big bestseller and it coincided with the rise of daytime talk show television so all of a sudden all these you know when you think about Geraldo and Sally Jesse Raphael and uh, Phil Donahue and all these sort of really inflammatory daytime TV shows that were looking for crazy topics to put out there in the world in the 80s witchcraft became perfect because this book had just been published and the author, uh, Lawrence Pazder, went on tour with the book and made himself available to all these talk shows. So it's really interesting the way that phenomena kicked off. And then that directly relates to 
the rise of satanic panic in eighties as a whole, like and then how that swept across North America. Mm-hmm. There's much more to it. You look at the political climate, what was going on with Reagan's America at the time. There's lots of things you can examine and what it was in reaction to and stuff. But the one statement that gets repeated to this day about that book is that Victoria, BC, and Geneva, Switzerland were the world centers for satanic practice, which has never been true. I don't know about Geneva. It's certainly never been true about Victoria. Like I said, I've been here 30 years, and I've (laughs) I've never, ever met an actual practicing Satanist, let alone heard about a satanic conspiracy in town. But what Victoria does have and has had for a long time is a lot of witches. about witchcraft too is that it's very much like a trial and error thing like there's no way to do it right and there's no way to be perfect at it and that's not the point the point is to like try and believe in it yeah and like believe that witches are real and believe that like i don't know it's a very it's a very powerful thing and if you feel more in the driver's seat of your own life like that's a good thing like you can you can be there you know and and i think that I asked a lot of the like interviewees kind of about their past or how they got into it and and a big part of it for um, especially the two women or like female identifying people I interviewed was like the fact that other religions had made them feel shameful for their existence and had made their femininity feel shameful and their bodies feel shameful and they were just like no. I don't, I don't think that that's right. And I think that there's another way to still feel connected to something, but to not feel shamed into that. And so, yeah, then they found this practice of witchcraft and were like, whoa, this worships this part of me that all these religions say, this sucks, you know? So I think that that also rings a chord in people or rings true for people when and even men, you know, or like male identifying people being like figuring out how to not feel shame in themselves either, because I think religion does that for anyone or as the like as the people I interviewed definitely felt that, yeah, religion definitely does that for people or can box people in. My name's Kara Sager and I'm um, a I guess religiously identify as a non-denominational witch. And I grew up uh, in a fairly strict Roman Catholic family. Um, My parents were academics and and fairly liberal, so we did have uh, friends who were not Caucasian. We had friends who practiced other religions. Um, And certainly there was this idea that um, you know, somehow all religions are, are one or that there's there's something beyond the dogma of Roman Catholicism. Um, and so that wasn't a radical thought in my family, but we were still really put through the Roman Catholic uh, mill and really instilled all the shame, guilt stuff um, that, that 
that they do um, and and the repression, sexual repression, all of that stuff was very much part of part of my childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and never did I have an understanding that there were other religions that didn't have books. So I was very interested in world religions in my teens. Um, I worked in an antiquarian bookshop in Market Square, and I bought all the books and read all the books um, on world religions. So I had this idea that there was this... um, wonderful sort of buffet of world religions available and never really thought about those ways of faith that aren't necessarily considered to be religions or valid religions Mm -hmm. um, and only thought of witches as a cartoon character Mm -hmm. um, until really my Mm -hmm. Mm mid-teens and in my mid-teens I left home and um, I was working, as I said, in this bookstore. And uh, across the way from us was another bookstore that was a metaphysical bookstore called Avalon. Only in Victoria. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I, um, I started filling in for lunch hour over there and started meeting lots of interesting new people who were able to... Um, speaking in an adult way about their faith um, that that wasn't full of like, ooh, you know, a bunch of 13-year-olds who have a Ouija board and, ooh, what are we going to do? It's so scary. And what, you know, instead it's, it was, you know, the, you know, these are mature people who have thought through what they're, what they're talking about and, and the way that they um, have chosen to practice in their lives. And it was very liberating when I understood that a, a human's path towards the divine didn't have to come out of a book and didn't have to follow a male prophet. Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't have to be um, a, an, an act of repression of, of my feminine self, mm-hmm. uh, that there was a way to be honored in that um, and, and, that, uh, and that it could be spiritual. Um, that was a very liberating concept mm-hmm. to me. <laughs> Do you feel like there is a political aspect of practicing witchcraft? Um, in in this place and time, absolutely. Um, so there's a few things that, that are going on politically that uh, one is... One is the tension between fundamentalist Christianity, uh, male control over women's bodies, uh, control over people's fertility and and choice. Um, I I think that most, but not all, um, witches really honor the choice and and that power within of the feminine body. And so uh, some of them, uh, you know, as I say, it's a life-affirming religion, and some of them might feel that uh, matters of fertility control uh, have a moral um, uh, component to it. But of those people, the ones I know uh, tend to say, and therefore I must go out into the world and support pregnant teenagers, Mm -hmm. uh, or I must give free babysitting, Mm -hmm. or I must be that safety net so that other people can make decisions that uh, I feel are life affirming. So, so there's that debate is um, 
the choice, the idea that we do as we will and harm none. That's a real tricky thing. Mm -hmm. And that's at the center of many pagan beliefs. Um, it's that ultimately there's, there's you and there's that, that spark of the universe that is divine that is also you. And we're trying to get those, those two pieces together. And, um, and, and, and it's, uh, that means that personal choice has to be really important. Um, because each of us, you can only, only one person can know how close you are to that, that spark of the divine that is also you. And, and if you want to call it a holy guardian angel, or you want to call it a higher self or, or, or whatever you want to call it, but the only person who knows how far or close you are is you. And, and you have to take that path. And if somebody else is saying, take this path instead or that path instead, instead, that can get in the way. Um, I think that most witches don't want to get in the way of that journey. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think that's political. The other big political thing, and this is tough, this is tough. If we are witches, if we are looking back to old traditions, the ones that are closest to us, the most accessible ones, are not necessarily the European stories. Um, you know, maybe if you're Irish, you got a little more of, of your old uh, stories, um, but maybe less if you're a Londoner, <laughs> you know. Um, the easiest, most accessible pagan traditions uh, are, and pagan animistic traditions, please, um, are indigenous or they are in areas of the world that are less uh, developed, or they're in places where people have been um, sheltered or protected in some way or have managed to shelter or protect themselves in some way from the march of the universalizing religions, mm -hmm. which are the religions whose, whose agenda is to spread, um, who have a book and, and have an army of missionaries who will spread uh what 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 their religion is and so what does that mean for us as witches it means that when we're looking for that inspiration sure is tempting to reach into other faith patterns other people's ethnic traditions and borrow what works for us sure is tempting well that's changed a lot since the 80s uh, we have a better understanding now that that's not a neutral thing to do. Um, me appreciating the way that um, another culture has interpreted their relationship with the land and their relationship with life is a really different thing than me claiming it. And me using it to understand my own beliefs better by saying, wow, I believe this, and my friend over here who has a different cultural background has a different belief, and yet we both consider ourselves to be witches or we both consider ourselves to be pagans. That's a powerful dialogue. The minute I start saying, oh, I like what she said, I'm going to just fold that into my beliefs and own it and teach it and act as if it's mine. mine out of context, cherry-picked. Mm -hmm. um, that's, a, 
that's a thing that can cause harm. This concept of what is cultural appropriation, what is cultural appreciation, what is cultural sharing between people of equal power, mm-hmm. um, that's a conversation, that is a hard, tough, ongoing political conversation that I don't know anybody who hasn't had it a little bit, either with themselves or with somebody who's calling them out. Absolutely. (laughs) I was just thinking about, yeah, like how witchcraft has kind of taken a new form now. It's like very Instagram Mm -hmm. famous kind of and all these (laughs) things. And so it's interesting probably for you as well to watch that happen and that evolution. And And I'll give you an example of that. Uh, Recently, there was, uh, I think it was last year, there was a kit that I think it was Sephora that put out. It was a pink kit, starter kit, witch kit. Was and it maybe Urban Outfitters too? I They have sure. stuff like that too. But anyways, keep going. <laughs> it was um, it was a a kit, a starter witch kit, and it had a few little components in it: some crystals, um, some oils, some uh, tarot cards, and um, and some sage. So. First off, white sage in some areas has been over-harvested to the point where it's endangered or it's, it's not around anymore. Secondly, the harvesting comes with a whole set of cultural contexts, um, some understandings about how you harvest, some understandings about how much you take, some understandings about what you give back for taking. It's not just something that you buy in a store out of a... You know, we used to sell sage at Avalon, uh, something that upon reflection, I would do differently. talking to people about it I understood it as something that was just like how you are in the world like it was like how you interact with the people close to you like it wasn't this big thing of like yeah kind of like a gimmicky like you have to be wearing this costume to practice magic and and it looks like a certain thing it's very much like a fluid even like very simple thing of just like um how you are to people and there's a there's a practice in in witchcraft that a few people I spoke to spoke to <laughs> um, is the fact that if you do something, you get it back three times over. So good or bad, like you're gonna get that back three times. So if you do something good, you're gonna get it back three times. So if you do something bad, you're gonna get it back three times. So why do something bad? Is that almost like is that similar to karma? Yeah, totally. It's like yeah, witchcraft's version of kind of like yeah the karmic rule of things Mm -hmm. and so it seems to be a way in which a lot of these witches like live their lives and how they interact with people what are your yeah like what have you learned like is there any like big epiphanies or like just any kind of i don't know yeah yeah so there's this one part where when i was talking to um kara she was talking about um 
her grandmother and she grew up very religious and i think um she was roman catholic right so super religious and so she was at one point her grandmother was talking and she gathered all the kids and she their grandfather had just died so her grandmother was like i'm gonna we're gonna talk about this right and so her grandmother goes now children you mustn't be sad because we're catholic and that means that we believe that life is a tree and when a leaf falls, it comes to nourish the roots and comes up through the tree to make new leaves, children, and that's you. Mm. Wow. And Carl was like, is that what Catholics <laughs> believe? <laughs> I mean, it's what I believe, but, you know, mm. uh, okay. <laughs> that's... That works for me. <laughs> I guess it doesn't matter what we label it. And so she, at that moment, knew that her grandmother had this belief system, but kind of had to like mask it in another religion to be safe, or just like still believe the things she did, but had to fit into society in some way. If I look at my grandmother, uh, I would say that she was a witch. She would be horrified. I can hear her turning in her grave, but she sure let me know that I had to leave, you know, a bowl out for the pixies and I would never have stepped into a toadstool uh, ring. And so for me, that gave me a big epiphany as to like, yeah, sometimes we have to mask it with these other things, but like, I just experienced, like thought of my own you know, relationships to my grandmothers and these things and their kind of religion, but how much, like, they were also practicing witchcraft in a lot of ways by, like, following the moon cycles or, like, doing these different things that are very much an earth-based thing that were not written in any scripture that they were reading, but they still did that because it's just, like, in their deep knowing of themselves, right? So I think that it definitely taught me, this whole process taught me like how much the craft is in everything and that it's like, even in other religious practices, it's also in there too. Like they slip it, like it's like this thing that you can't kill even though so many times people have tried because it just like, it's, it's so innate. How do they kind of see the future of which is on campus? There's no coven at UVic anymore, and there's really like it's I think it's like harder maybe to find self-identifying witches on campus. Or there's just not like a collective where you can go and be like, oh, you're witches? Cool, me too. And so I don't I don't think that there's that same there's those same spaces for people on campus. I mean, it was a funny thing because when I got hired, you know, having been a student here and everything, and then when I got hired back on campus, 
uh, which is probably about 12 years ago now. Um, everybody on campus, all the staff on campus get a free little calendar that they sit on their desk, you know, monthly calendar, and it always has the different religions on there. And when I got hired, I got my calendar and I was like, look, Wiccan religion, we're on the calendar. So, you know, Samhain was on there, Beltane was on there, uh, Fall Equinox, Winter Solstice, they were all recognized on that calendar. And I thought that was really great. And I thought it was very uh, accepting of UVic as a community and a very aware uh, moment that they were, you know, aware of the history of witchcraft on campus that we were included in their calendar and on the list of, you know, official religious observances. And then this year, <laughs> they've streamlined it all. So we're no longer there. We're not on the list of official religious observances, not just us, but there's a lot of other holidays were removed as well, Buddhist holidays, Muslim holidays, a lot of those were removed. And we have been removed from the free desktop calendar that we all get given out by the bookstore. So when that happened, when I got that desktop calendar, um, I contacted the bookstore and I said, hey, what's up? You took all the witch holidays off the calendar. And uh, they said, oh, that was just an accidental oversight on our part. Sorry about that. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. And then like two weeks later, I saw the holiday observance list that UVic officially puts out. And I saw that Wiccan holidays were removed from that as well. And I was like, oh, okay, something's going on. And I get it, they're just trying to narrow it down and streamline it with the faiths that are being represented with the interfaith chapel and everything. But it kind of bugs me because it's not as inclusive and it's not as welcoming, you know. So for other witches who get hired on campus, you know, they don't get that moment of, oh, look, you know, my religion is equal to everybody else's. Mm -hmm. So it's, it seems like a small thing. Like, what does it matter how many religious observances you have? Like, what does it really matter, you know? Mm -hmm. But it's interesting to think of this, like, a university as this place of, like, an epicenter for diversity and to be open to all of these things and then, but these small ways in which they can, like, cut you out or, like, push you to the side, Yeah, right? yeah, 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 especially given the history on campus, you Yeah, know? yeah. Like, you, you talk to people who were students here in the 70s who they didn't even have to have classes with Robin Skelton, but they would see him walking across the lawn with his cape and his wa uh, his big cane and his, he always wore like a big pentagram and his floppy hat. Like he had very much that sort of Dumbledore Merlin look going on. And he was coming out of like an Irish bard poetry tradition as well. So there's a little bit of theater about him as well. But it was a nice presence on campus too. And you know, he was always being interviewed in the media and all that kind of stuff. But without that person who's living large in that way, um, I think it's tricky now to, to do that, mm -hmm. you know. They are now practicing and doing things very much in their own homes and communities and like um, are kind of like in a different stage of their life and they want now new people to come and start to practice again. <laughs> I love working with the spirits of plants in my practice. In witchcraft, you're working with plants with a belief of animism so that all of nature has a spirit and that spirit has intelligence. Uh, my name is Natalie Bishop. Um, I would say that I would, I don't really identify usually, but if I had to identify my practice, I'd probably call myself an eclectic witch. Uh, eclectic witches pull from different um, 
different cultures and different inspirations in their practice. So, for example, on my mom's side of the family, they come from northern Italy. So I use a lot of traditional Italian folk magic practices to inform what I do. Um, on my dad's side, my grandparents are from Britain and Ukraine. So a lot of also Celtic folk magic um, informs what I do and Eastern European folk magic. You know, there's a lot of witches that are distinctly uh, like practice Dianic witchcraft or you know, they're m- ancient Minoan witches or something. And, and so I don't really follow kind of a one one path or one culture of knowing. I kind of pull from um, different parts of my ancestry to, to kind of develop uh, a personal practice that speaks to me. So... Nat. Nat, yeah. I mean, she, her name's Natalie, but I call her Nat. <laughs> um, that's her witch name. No, um, and so she's taken up witchcraft in the past few years because... She's, she's just entered. Yes, she's just entered into witchcraft. Whoa. So this is another part of it. where So there's this woman named Starhawk, and Starhawk, she's from the States, but she did a lot of work in Victoria on the island when the, what is it, Cloudcut sound? There was those rallies for, um, I think they were doing like clear cuts or something. In the 90s, there's these big protests happening. Um, Starhawk was a big part of this, and she was a very out witch. And she was someone who introduced like um, ecofeminism and witchcraft and feminism and like really made it accessible to people and had all these books that people were like super into. Um, there's one called the spiral dance that a lot of people pick up and that's how they get into witchcraft. Really? It's and, like a good intro. Oh, absolutely. It's like the, yeah, it's like kind of your Bible for witchcraft. If have you read it? Yes, or, really? I have read it. Yeah, it's really good. It actually is like one of those things where you're like, oh, these are all the things I've been thinking and feeling and someone's putting words to them. Wow. Like it honestly does feel like that. So it's very cool. And it was written in the sixties. And so, and it's very feminist, but it's, and, and some things now are like, you know problematic in their own ways but for the most part it very like it's very radical and holds true and it's very much a support for now for witches of today as well um but yeah so starhawk was a big activist and was very active in canada and and on the island and she now has like a farm up island um and that sort of thing so she was a big part of the community here so so yeah so my friend nat reads this book called the spiral dance like maybe two years ago and feels the same way as i do is like oh my gosh this is like speaking my language and yeah putting words to things and so she just like takes it and runs with it and now has created off campus her own kind of like covens and doing her own rituals and workshops Oh, it's been um, truly, hugely transformational. My whole life has changed. Um, The one thing that I think is really, really difficult, but really amazing in witchcraft, and I'm going to quote a really cheesy saying by Sen Moise, who's a a conjure man I really look up to um, in New Orleans, but he always says it's called spiritual work. It's not called spiritual easy. (laughs) And it's so cheesy. But nonetheless, it's true. And and one thing like I was talking about before, um, like magic is our ability to change our consciousness at will. And so how we're able to do that is through really getting to know yourself. You know, you Mm -hmm. have to really critically look at 
okay, if I'm going to change my consciousness, I need to know how it functions. So what are my beliefs? Why are they there? Where do they come from? Are they serving me or are they holding me back? And you have to constantly be and um, constantly be going deeper and deeper into your psyche, into your subconscious, into the shadow. And a lot of witchcraft is like that encouragement to... Uh, um, honor the light and the dark and you know through doing that you really have to interact with a lot of yourself that we've been taught to repress and taught to not look at but through the courage to look at your shadow and interact you actually gain access to huge reservoirs of power because a lot of our beings a lot of our spirit and a lot of our power is actually um held within the shadow quote unquote um you know we always especially in our society too, we always talk about, oh, it's all love and light all the time, but it's not. The truth is, is that it's not. And if we don't, if we don't honor the darkness in us, if we don't honor what lessons and teachings that they have, then we're only, it's like you're operating with one arm, you know? And, um, so for me, I, I feel like, and, and uh, one of my intentions over the past year was to step into my power because I did a ritual and the woman who was leading it asked, what's your biggest fear? Mm. And in that moment, I'd never really thought about it, to be honest. And in that moment, I realized that what I most desired and what I most feared was to be seen authentically for who I was and to be centered in my power and to be expressing my power out into the world. And that both... I both wanted that desperately, but I also feared that completely because it meant I had to be vulnerable. And so to, um, and in order to do that, I had to face so much of my fears. I had to, I had to deconstruct so many belief systems that have held me back. And, um, and, but through having the courage to do that work, that spiritual work, have the discipline to face those things. Um, my whole life has been changed. I started my own business. I've been holding workshops. I've been leading rituals. And if you talked to me a year ago, that would have just terrified me. I was really self-conscious. I was shy. I had so many doubts about my competence in this world. And now it's it's not that like those fears go away, but now they they don't control me, which is such a huge um huge change and even you know to be doing this interview now if you asked me to do it a year ago I probably would have been so scared that I have just like let that opportunity go and saying sorry Dakota like I'm not into it and you know I I shot myself in the foot so many times and held myself back so many times just because I was too afraid to be vulnerable and too afraid of the possibility of failure but um, now it's like, even if I fail, even if I come on and, and mess this whole thing up, it's like, whatever, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to die. It's like, and, and it might be, you know, people might relate to it more because they realize like, Hey, we're all just human beings, right? Just doing our best and that's okay. And, mm-hmm. um, so for me, it's really helped me to empower myself to connect with my authenticity and vulnerability and to see those things as strengths, mm-hmm. to see, what I formerly saw as my weaknesses, as something that were valuable and that um, I could honor, and um, to um, to see the lessons and the teachings in in even the depths of my despair and and depressions, mm-hmm. and learn how to 
not only accept those things for what they are, but transcend them. And I think that's one of the most amazing parts of witchcraft is that it teaches you to empower yourself um, and not give away your power anymore. And uh, I think, yeah, for men and women and non-binary folks and everyone, you know, um, I think it's, yeah, it's a really really uh, transformative mm-hmm. spiritual practice yeah mm-hmm. you know that that thing of oh this makes me really uncomfortable oh great good yeah you know like if you're an athlete do you like stop doing a certain thing because it makes you uncomfortable no you do it until you're not uncomfortable anymore well you know it's like i said witchcraft that's a verb you're crafting mm-hmm. you're crafting your practice <laughs> How do you feel about like the community of witchcraft in Victoria and also like online or wherever? How, what are your thoughts on that? Um, you know, I'm actually just still meeting the community in Victoria, um, but I know that it's very deeply rooted and has been for a long time here. Um, but I think it's rad, you know, it's like it's really cool to go into different shops and spaces. And even I just went to a herb shop the other day and the, the woman who works there, we ended up having like a 20 minute conversation about like hexes and curses and like the history of witchcraft. And it was just cool to be like, oh, yeah, like just your average person could be, um, you know, a really serious practicing witch. Um, so I think it's really cool in Victoria that it's historically been a place where people could, um, had a certain level of spiritual freedom and, uh, a freedom of spiritual expression. Um, and that even though I think that people do still kind of, even though it's like such a huge community here, it's not out in the open. Like you, it's still, hidden away in people's living rooms and people's houses and you know you kind of have to know the right people to to get into it but nonetheless it's here what do john and Kara think of this new kind of coven yeah so i asked john actually brought it up like himself where he was like he called it kitchen sink witchcraft so which i love is that like kind of like like tongue in cheek is he kind of like making fun of it or is he like Like a little bit but he also loves it like he also was down for it because i did ask him because i because like in my way of viewing it i was like oh it's like diy witchcraft right where it's like you don't really know what you're doing you've done your research but you also like don't necessarily have a mentor or don't necessarily have a path that you're strictly following right so but he was very stoked on it he was like that's great if that's what people are doing, as long as they do the research. And that was the same for Kara. That's what she said, where she um, was happy that people were still practicing and finding ways to practice, as long as they did their research and it wasn't appropriating, like we were talking about before. Um, because, yeah, I think it is a new wave of how people are practicing. And if it does, yeah. It sometimes moves into like the gimmicky place where there's some online platforms where people have, um, they wear like, you know, the witch hats and like all those things, right? But if it does make people feel safer in themselves or feel more connected, then like maybe that's okay, 
you know it's like being able to see beyond the fear or see beyond what people are promoting and maybe having those conversations about it and being like oh are you actually interested in witchcraft is that why you're doing that you know so um it's still like very alive and well in both like the you know the elders of witchcraft were like excited for this new diy witchcraft that's great there's like new excitement finally yeah yeah one of the things about being an active witch these days is just being aware of your place in history like Mm -hmm. we're very fortunate witches today are very fortunate Uh, i can sit here and i can have this interview with you and it's going to go out on the public airwaves uh people in my community know we're witches uh my kids teachers and their friends know we're witches Uh, we are so out in the community and yet we don't feel at risk we don't feel like anyone's gonna come and arrest us or burn us at the stake or hang us or anything like that which is absolutely not true of most periods of the last four to five hundred years of history and is certainly not true with a lot of what's still going on in the world today i was i was an out which in the early 90s, uh, the satanic panic was still very real. My friends who grew up in pagan families um, were, were worried about if they said the wrong thing at school or to a, a, a worker of any kind, of, that, that, that they could be taken away from their parents. Um, my friends who were young mothers were afraid. Uh, I had no children of my own. My risk was lower. I experienced what it was. I haven't been able to be clear or honest about my religion in, in jobs that I've had. Um, you know, it's, it's, UVic was always some place where we had Robin Skelton. We had, you know, we had these high profile, we had Michelle Favre. I worked with her in the, in the jails, um, doing, uh, chaplaincy work um, in the federal penitentiary system and serving that population, um, and she worked at UVic. We've we have had some very high-profile pagan leaders here. UVic was always a sanctuary and a place where there was the signal that it was safe, and that was the exception. Recently, UVic has backed off from playing that role. It's still really needed. Um, we, we no longer have the pagan holidays in the calendar at UVic. Um, you know, part of me says, meh, is that a big deal? These aren't historical dates. These are not things that if we forget to remember them, they will be forgotten. This is like literally etched in the, the way that our planet circle, circles our sun. These holidays will not be forgotten. They will be continued, um, whether or not a society chooses to honor them. Um, and, and if we were to forget collectively that these holidays happened, well, guess what? Somebody would figure it out again because it's part of life on this planet, uh, that these holidays exist. It's the wheel of the year. Um, so, you know, are they important that way? Maybe not. Are they important because it signals that UVic is no longer that safe place that it used to be, that it was when it was brave. And I think a lot of the urgency behind getting made, made sure that uh, Wicca is a religion and that we have religious rights and that we we register as a religion and that um, and 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 that we defend our religious rights was because we were truly under threat and still are. And it's sad that 
we don't have that anymore, th those signals. Um, now we've sort of taken a more inclusive, well, all religions are, you know, welcome here. And, and it, yeah, but not all religions go through what this religion is going through and has gone through over the last few decades. Um, so I, I thought it was important because I love this community. I love you, Vic. And I was so proud when we were that one place. Mm -hmm. And I am, I'm sad that we are no longer that one place. And, and that we, the, the current leadership isn't, doesn't actually even seem, well, as reported in the Martlet, <laughs> you know, to be aware that there's a very vibrant and thriving Wiccan community here at UVic. Um, and, and, and the interfaith chapel, um, you know, there was a time we had a chaplain there. There was a time where we fought for the right to have a chaplain there. And uh, we don't currently, but that doesn't necessarily mean we don't exist. It just means that bricks and mortar aren't our first place when we're looking for places to go to do ritual. There's a huge difference between, as I mentioned, the religions of the book, where you've got a set of religious laws, you, you've got some a, a tome to go to, um, and and often you have this this agenda to spread the religion, uh, the salvation. That's really different from paganism in general, which is there's no Jerusalem, there's no Mecca. It's my backyard, the headwaters of the water that I drink from, the oldest oak in my meadow, my ancestors, the people who are the saints, as it were, air quotes, in my life, the exemplars, um, the the honoring of the elderly people in my life, the honoring of the young people in my life, that's the sacred. So that's a really different thing. You can read books for inspiration, but there is no inspiration. There is no uh, spell from a book that is going to be the same as deliberately putting love into the food you make for the people you care about. There is no passage that is going to be the same as holding a newborn baby in your arms. That's available to all people of all religions. That's the heart of the craft. It would be wonderful if we could all honor that. The way we honor pilgrimages to elsewhere, the way that we look to other times and other people for that, that spiritual inspiration. And um, that exists in all religions. The craft is alive throughout, but without the cloak of a religion, it's persecuted or it's denied or it's suppressed. So I think it's important to come out if you can risk it. And I can risk it at this point in my life. episode of You in the Ring was produced by Dakota Hagen with help from Andrew Hines and me, Coco Nielsen. Thanks to our guests, John Threlfell, Kara Seger, and Natalie Bishop. This episode was made possible through the generous support of the UVic Student Awards and Financial Aid Work Study Program. 
If you liked this episode, check out more at cfuv.ca and be sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts.